0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. Nice to see you all. So I, um, you know, these days there's this talk about artificial intelligence, AI. And there's some, maybe not directly, but maybe it is directly, I don't know, I haven't, I'm not so up to date on what everybody's talking about, but there's this question of like, what is real? Like, Like, what is real? And if we were anything that we feel like must be real it must be, like, you, or me, right? This, like, I'm real, you're real, you're real, right? So this idea, like, okay, well, you know, I'm real. But there's a, you know, the Buddhist Buddhist teachings include this idea of not-self. And so, uh, what does that mean, really? It's a whole idea of not-self. So I'd like to explore this a little bit, and I'm influenced by a contemporary philosopher, Julian Baghini. he's not a Buddhist, or maybe he is, I don't know, but uh, he writes as a philosopher. And he, he uh, gave a talk, a TED talk, maybe 10 years ago, that I heard, and I thought, oh, okay, so it's pointing to this same idea of not self, but from a really different angle that I found interesting and interesting to think about. But before I go into that, I want to talk a little bit about some of these initial reactions we might have to not self teachings, or even hearing about this, maybe even for the first time or over and over again. We might have this idea of what? I don't get it. (laughs) Not self. Like that's just what. Of course, there's a self. This is ridiculous. And so we might have this idea of like we want to be a little bit dismissive of it because it's so different than our actual experience. Of of course, there's a self. There's a real self. What are they talking about? So. There's a way that this teaching runs counter to our experience and our ideas and certainly the way that kind of like society and our culture suggests that there's a self. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But so our initial reactions, and certainly this was mine, was a little bit of puzzlement or disbelief. And I remember hearing some teachings... That they really touched me, and I felt like, wow, this is like so great. This whole Buddhist thing. <laughs> I felt like, oh, okay, I found a home here. It makes sense to me, except for that not-self stuff. So I kind of thought, the idea, okay, well, I'll be a Buddhist, whatever that means. I didn't even know at that time. But I'm just going to be a self. <laughs> I'll let them kind of keep all that not-self stuff, and I'm going to keep myself here. And it's not uncommon, right, to have these ideas. These things like, oh, well, okay, well, maybe if it's true, I don't know. But to feel a little bit uncomfortable with it and have maybe this, uh, attempted to dismiss it just as um, I did. And that's perfectly fine. You can do that. You don't have to believe anything that I'm saying. I'm, there's the last thing we want to do. It's like, here's a collection of beliefs that you have to adopt or some views you have to adopt. That's not the direction we're going. It's this tradition, we're really pointing to experiences. And I'll be pointing to that in a moment. But maybe one last thing that I'll say about some of our initial reactions when we hear about this, even the concept or the idea of not-self, after maybe some puzzlement or some disbelief or wanting to dismiss it, is this recognition that this path of practice... Part of what I think makes it so powerful and attractive is that it requires or, I don't know if I like this word requires, but maybe that it asks for some open-mindedness and some humility. all this path is about, right, we hear about beginner's mind, this idea of like, okay, what is there to learn? What is there to see? How can I learn and how can I see? Right. If we thought that we already knew everything or had everything, we would have no need for meditation practice. We would have no need for spiritual practice. We'd have no need for coming to IMC on Monday nights. Right? If we already had everything so this path asks us for to engage with our experience, to be present for our experience, with a certain amount of open-mindedness and humility. And maybe I'll even add on that that this isn't just a nice thing to say, but uh, investigation, this quality of open-mindedness and humility and asking like, "What's really here? What's really here?" What are my ideas about what's here? What are the experiences I'm having? Like, what's happening? What's my relationship to happening? This whole idea of investigation, this whole practice of investigation, is one of the factors of awakening. This is part of what leads to awakening, is a support for awakening. So it's more than just saying, oh, it's nice to have this open-mindedness and this humility. I would say it's an integral part this path of practice. So, let's back to this idea of uh, a non-self. So, there's this sense of self that just kind of like makes common sense. If you were to ask people, maybe if I were to ask some of you, or if you were to ask uh, somebody walking down the street, like, what, is, what does it mean to have a self? Might kind of look at you a little bit oddly perhaps. We don't think about this so much, but there's this idea often that we have a a core or an essence. And some people, rather than self, might even use this word ego, which maybe feels like part of a self, or some people might use the word soul. So this like inner entity that uh stays with us like through our life as we grow and go through our lives. And there's lots of things in our culture that really reinforce this idea. And uh, kind of a funny, I, I mean, not funny, but in one that I hadn't thought of before was this, even this whole idea of horoscopes. <laughs> if you're born on this month or this time frame, you have this or uh, astrological sign, and therefore it means something about you. And often, you know, I've, I still hear you know people talking about this, even Buddhist practitioners. Well, I'm a Gemini, and that means that blah blah blah. Or in true Aries fashion, I did blah blah blah. You know, there's this idea that even that a person could have a horoscope that says something about how they this integral to their essence or. Something like this. And maybe if you don't believe in horoscopes or astrological signs, we still have, like in the professional world, and in uh, career development, all these types of things, we have these personality tests. Myers, Briggs, Type Indicator, MBTI. Maybe some of you have done this, taken these tests, and you get these four-letter designations uh, that, like the type that you are. And then they suggest, you know, what the best way that you work or the best way that you learn or how to be a good manager or a good employee or something like that, right? So here's another way in society is kind of suggesting that you have this core essence. And not only that, that it can be uh, assigned a type and that this type is uh, going to be with you as you progress through life. Of course, it's we have these official... Uh, type indicators, but you know, there's plenty of websites and magazines. There's a lot of stuff. Take these answer these five questions and we'll tell you what kind of a learner you are, what type of a what type of exercise is best for you. The best diet, you know, everything, right? Anything you can imagine. So this idea that we even have like one distinct style or type or something is Part of what kind of society and our culture believes, and many of us kind of accept this, makes sense. And so, if we believe that there's this core or this essence, then we have this idea that this core, this essence, has experiences that then just get like tacked on, like you know, to the to the outside of this core or this essence there's this thing in the middle and now it has these other things hanging on to it experiences memories things that we learn sensations all these types of things sense of there's something here and everything else is somehow attached to it but there's this thing here our type our style our ego soul self all these types of things To be sure, I mean, we certainly we have desires, we have beliefs, we have knowledge, we have sensations, we have experiences, all these things that maybe we believe are being dif- distinct from this core, but somehow attached to it. And then what the Buddha is pointing to, and even modern day neuroscience, and some schools of philosophy, that there actually isn't this Core, there isn't a you, a I, a me at the center of all experiences. Well, then you might ask, well, what is there then? So clearly we have these memories and desires and beliefs and knowledge and sensations. So these things exist and they're all integrated in some way and they overlap in some way right? our beliefs are related to the experiences we have sensations that we've had and our memories the things that we think are important are also associated with our beliefs and maybe the knowledge that we have sensations are associated with uh, what we do in the world or how we're experiencing the world and that's also associated with uh, thoughts that we might have. or So there's a way in which all these things are interrelated. They're not completely distinct. So that there's an overlap and related. But maybe the emphasis here is on the way that these things are connected. So components are, of our lives are connected because certainly they all belong to one body and brain, right? They're not happening. My sensations aren't happening to any of you. I'm not having any of your sensations, of course. So they're connected in that way, but they're also connected because there's a narrative that's getting created. This sensation means X. And whatever the X is, is based on our beliefs, based on our values, based on knowledge we have, based on other experiences we have. So there's experiences, sensations, thoughts, beliefs. And then there's a narrative that's like knitting them together and making a story or adding meaning to them. The story that we tell about ourselves. The story that highlights that, oh yeah, that memory was me, and I'm different now, even though the memory's actually happening in the present moment. And the fact that we're remembering it is a indicator of something that maybe a experience or a sensation we had right now. And so there's this way there's this maybe invisible or unseen story that's knitting all our experiences together to make sense. Nobody nobody likes things to not make sense. We all kind of want to have our life make sense, our experiences make sense. So there's this narrative that we're layering on top. So what does this mean exactly? That we might say that the, these connected things, I can use this word things, beliefs, values, knowledge, sensations, experiences, are what a you is, a me is a collection of connected things. I'm using this word, things. Beliefs, sensations, values, thoughts. So in some ways we're like the the sum of the parts. So maybe to, I like this example. And this is from Julian Boghini, the philosopher. Uh, Part of it, I like it because some of you may know I'm trained as a scientist and this is a little bit of science, tiny little bit of science. Makes me happy. (laughs) So there's, we could take something like water. H2O, we all know this, H2O. Two hydrogen atoms, one oxygen atom them together, you get water. Which we all kind of like know this, there's nothing too complicated about it. But what you guys probably didn't think is that there's this essence of water and then we stick a hydrogen on it over here another hydrogen on it over here and an oxygen over here. No, you understand that it's two hydrogens and an oxygen together and that's the water. There isn't this core that we call water that then we stick things on. Or maybe we might even say that uh, microphones... I don't know how microphones work exactly. I think there's sound waves that come in. There's a diaphragm that vibrates in it. It's connected to a doohickey, which is connected to a thingamajig, which is... Connect. You know, I don't know what exactly how microphones work. There's a wire. (laughs) It's the same thing, right? There isn't this core that's called microphone that we stick the diaphragm, the coil. I think there's a coil thingamajig on and the doohickey on, right? No, it's a collection of things. Microphone is, you know, all these things in a particular configuration and they're working together, they're doing something, they're amplifying my voice in this case. Mickey Mouse in cartoons, the same type of thing, right? It's a character, it's on TV or on the computer, which was drawn by somebody, Has uh, and there's stories about it, but... Is it real? Is Mickey Mouse real? It's a collection of things that were created, and I don't actually know how they make cartoons. But Mickey Mouse, right, is important for some children, it has a role that it teaches and stories. But so it's not, not real, because it has an impact on people. Water is real, microphones are real. They don't have a core though. They're just a collection of things, and we are assigning a label to this collection. Or rainbows, right? These are just when the conditions are present, the, the, right? Water in the atmosphere, and sunlight, and I guess there needs to be like a human being or some entity that has can visualize a rainbow see in that color spectrum but rainbows are real but they're not substantial like we love rainbows we can take photos of them but they're just a collection of certain conditions came together and made a rainbow but you, they're not I mean they're real but right there, have this insubstantiality to them also. So there's a few ideas that I'm pointing to here that all of these things, Mickey Mouse, rainbows, microphones, water, everything, actually, everything, doesn't have like a core that we then stick attached to, that has other things attached to it. So why should the self be different? Why should this idea of a self be different than everything else in our experience? Why do we think that uh, that we're not just a collection of all our parts? I'll use that word, parts but instead we have this idea that there's a core and other things get attached to it, but there's nothing like that, that exists, that we can point to, that scientists can point to at all. So I want to highlight that I'm not saying anything like this doesn't exist, that selves don't exist, right? That's silly. Of course I exist, and of course you exist. We're just saying that often when we say that there's a self, we're assuming that it has certain qualities, that it has this core, and that everything else happens to it. And I'm saying, no, it's just a collection of parts. In the same way that a waterfall is, you know, water falling. The waterfall is always changing. It's different droplets of water that are going over landing in different places, and the water has a history before it gets to the waterfall, and then it goes over the waterfall. So a self is kind of like that, too. All these parts are changing. They're interrelated. They're changing, but it's, they're moving in some kind of way, we might imagine. But doesn't mean waterfalls don't exist, Niagara Falls, take pictures of them. They're beautiful. They even make rainbows. But there isn't like a solid core substance to them. So the self is like this. And there's actually something quite fantastic about this. Because the fact that for a collection of parts, or processes, instead of like this stable core that's in the middle, not changing, it means that we can develop and cultivate, grow, change. Otherwise, if there was this stable thing that just gets experiences attached to, we'd be trapped. So this is kind of like the freedom that's available to humans And there's even more freedom when we really start to understand this deeply. Because as long as we think that we have this core, then we have to protect it. We have to shield it. We have to pretend it looks a particular way to everybody else. There's a reason why we often aren't sharing our inner thoughts with other people. Because we often there's a feeling like, "Oh, this inner core is somehow not quite right. This is a pervasive feeling that humans have, Not everybody, but a lot of people have. So we, we're trying to hide it, so we're creating these narratives, these stories that are trying to convince everybody, "Yeah, I'm fine. everything's under control." <laughs> I got it, No problem when we might actually be desperately confused or feeling not like our life is going the way we want it to or something like this. Meanwhile, we're trying to convince her, yeah, no problem, I got it. So we're trying to protect it. We're trying to bolster it, make sure that it looks good. We feel vulnerable if we have this core. Like We don't want people to maybe even know about it, or to injure it in some kind of way. We build walls around it so we don't can't get close to other people. This idea of this center, a central core or essence, is the source of a lot of dukkha. A lot of dukkha. A lot of dukkha. And as this starts to maybe um, loosen up, and that maybe we don't feel like we have a core, but we only do at certain times, and then maybe we can loosen up and feel like there's just a flow of experiences, then the more ease we have in our life, chances are, if you were to think about the best moments of your life, it doesn't involve being like, Contracted and feeling separate from everybody else, and feeling like you have to protect yourself or something like that. Instead, probably the best moments of your life are when there's a sense of flow and connection with others, with nature, or whatever it might be. So the Buddha is pointing to this: that there's the self is just a collection. I'm not going to go into the details of what this collection is. Maybe, maybe I will in a subsequent talk. But I wanted to talk about a little bit, how can we go about loosening up or even seeing how it's part of a collection? Maybe one thing I'll say is that it's often meditative experiences that can really cause a giant shift. But there's lots of... Uh, small shifts along the way that we can be doing and practicing with and this is um from joseph goldstein who uh, shares some practices to do in daily life to kind of like support this idea of there not being a solid core or essence and one is and uh I appreciate that Joseph is saying, "Okay, where well, this is for daily life." So he says, "For three minutes." so something you only have to do for three minutes, is just to listen to the sounds. In this building, sometimes we hear traffic. when you hear my voice, we hear people shuffling a little bit, maybe your breath. It absolutely doesn't matter if you want to do this exercise, I'm not going to point to you. Whether it's in a quiet place, noisy place, it doesn't matter. Just listen. Like open up the awareness. Hear sounds. And then drop in the question, what's knowing these sounds? Knowing is happening. There's sounds and we know that there's sounds. But what's, what's knowing the sounds? Let me just do a little investigation. Is there something inside that knows? That's Is there a knower? And this feels like an odd uh, expression or odd uh, question, but we can just look. Maybe we'll just do this now. Well, what, is there a knower inside that can like hear these sounds or even know the meaning of these words? Like what would, a, how would we even know a knower? <laughs> Like, what is a knower? So, when we investigate, we see that there's actually really nothing to find. And the trick is to look again, and again, and again, and again, and again. To do this exercise, when you hear sounds just to turn what's the knower do it when the mind is quiet do it when the mind's agitated and just to investigate it's not it won't be sufficient to do it you know ten times and say oh okay there's nothing there I get it now what's next there's something about the looking and not finding repeatedly that has an impact so that's one thing we can do it's it's uh, this recognition that all that's going on is hearing and the knowing of the sounds. There isn't uh, this nowhere, it's just sounds being known. There's no self, there's no core, there's no essence. A second practice that Joseph talks about. And he also says you could just do this for three minutes to do this like in daily life. And Joseph gives a story about um, doing some walking meditation while on retreat. And he recognized that when he was walking, there's a whole collection of sensations, pressure on the bottom of the feet, maybe the feeling of uh, air going across the body, or maybe the sense of motion, or maybe there's a sense of uh, lightness, like we're not stuck and heavy, but we're kind of like have this lightness, mobility, if we can move. So there's a collection of sensations. And then to notice that, that they're simply experiencing sensations in space. The sensations are down there on the bottom of the feet, but there's also maybe sensations feeling the breeze on the face or the hands. There's also maybe a sensation in the leg as, or or the legs as the material of the clothes moves against the body. So it's a collection of sensations. There's the mind that creates a narrative and creates the self. Oh, there's a body that's doing this motion that's walking. That's true. But the actual experience, different than the narrative, the actual experience, like really the actual sensations. Maybe I should use that word. Is at the bottom of the feet? Maybe on the upper legs, maybe on the face. But that's not a body. That's a collection of sensations. So Joseph Joseph recommends for three minutes, do some walking and feel how there's oh yeah, there's just this collection of sensations as we move. It's a little bit extra. It's not a little but it's a lot. It's a lot extra, but we're so used to doing it, we don't notice. But it's extra to impute a whole body that's walking. So Joseph highlights to see that actually the body is, he has this expression, he was um, he was calling it like this fluid energy field. I don't know if that resonates for you, it might... A fluid energy field, but that's different than this anatomical body that you could see on an X-ray, for example, or CAT scan, or something like that. This just this collection of sensations. So we might have this idea of the solidity of the body, and maybe in some way we might think that oh, this is the core, the essence, because this feels pretty solid. But when we move, we can start to see a a collection of sensations. And I maybe want to emphasize that this not-self teaching is really about sensations, phenomena. It's so much not about the mind. It's pointing to actually how the mind creates concepts, like the idea of water. Like we think water, but it's not a Core in which we attach things. Water is a concept, a word that gets assigned to a collection. And the body is the same way. The body is the same way. And the self is the same way. And maybe for the, and uh, Joseph gives this last uh, recommendation for something that we can do to help us see through this idea that we might have that there's a solid core or essence is that too this often works a little bit better when the mind is a little bit quiet, but it's not uncommon for us to identify with the thoughts, okay, maybe I'm not my body, okay, well, maybe I'm not um i'm I'm not uh the nowhere I'm not even sure where that is, but my thoughts, clearly, what this inner narrative is, that must be me. But when you look, the actual experiences, again, I'm talking really subtle, but what actually is happening is a lot of thoughts. Thoughts that come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go all day long. It's just a collection of thoughts. Some thoughts we believe, some other thoughts we don't believe. Some are wispy, some get repeated a bazillion times. They are all thoughts. And so Joseph talks about, just for a while, if you can, just notice, wow, how many thoughts we have. In a three-minute period, can you notice, this isn't so easy, often we just get lost in them, but to notice how thoughts are arising and passing thoughts, even the thoughts like, this is silly, why am I doing this? You know, <laughs> They're all just thoughts, and they're coming and going. So if we think that we are like our internal world, well, which thought would we be? like we're like only these thoughts but not those thoughts, the ones that we like, or maybe we're only the thoughts that we don't like. And There isn't a core, there isn't an essence there. So this idea of not-self is just pointing to how it's completely appropriate that we use concepts and labels that we assign to collections of things, And this idea of uh, self is a label we use to assign to a collection of things. There isn't this core that's always will be with us forever and who knows, like next life, past life, these types of things. And I know somebody's going to ask, well, wait, if there isn't a self, what gets reborn? This is right. I'm not going to answer that right now. It's the, you know, the... Uh, it's a perfectly legitimate question it's a good question right I'm just going to say for here that uh, there isn't a self in the way that we think there is there isn't like the ego the way we think there is there isn't a soul the way we think there is but of course there's a self right I'm a self you guys are a self I don't want us to get too tripped up on language so would be better if we had another word than self, ego, or soul. Maybe is a better word, even though that doesn't quite match, but uh, maybe it points to the same thing. So this idea of not self when we think about it like I said it might be a little bit puzzlement or we might might want to dismiss it or it might even bring up some fear or so, a lot of uncomfortableness I often don't like to teach about this topic because it causes a lot of uncomfortableness so I'll just say this <laughs> but it's one of those teachings that the idea of it seems really weird or uncomfortable the experience experience of it, which usually happens in a meditative state, some deep, this deep recognition is beautiful. And it turns out to be like one of the biggest relief. Like, oh, I didn't even know that I was carrying this burden, this idea of a self that I have to protect and Make everybody like and all this stuff. So the experience is different than our ideas about it. Maybe that's a fundamental teaching here. So with that, I'll uh, open it up for some questions or comments. Are there some questions? Questions? All right. Nobody has a self. We don't have questions. It's fine. Nobody has. To, you don't have to ask questions. It's just to provide an opportunity.
1: There's a way I've been thinking about this. Um, can you hold this a little bit closer so we can and, and
0: to go like this? Yeah. There you go. Thank you.
1: I am. A, I'm a craniosacral practitioner, oh, mm-hmm. which is a very subtle, gentle type of body work. And I notice when practitioners talk about what happens in the physiology, and the, the, it, it comes out of osteopathy, so it's got its whole has a pr- particular paradigm and languaging around it. Um, but I notice when practitioners are talking about what happens in the physiology and what we're doing and the issue of self as a practitioner really becomes a problem cuz it's really it's a type of work that's like a non-doing it's being very present with somebody and you're not you're not doing something you're attending to um you're tracking, you have awareness, but it's very important that it's a non-manipulative non-manipula- intent. It's not an intent to alter somebody. And so I have been noticing how practitioners have a real challenge around how to language that. And I really feel like it's that self No, I always think, oh, this is so very Buddhist. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's real. It's how it is. It's just the truth that they're trying to get at. And they often end up going towards a spiritual language, and then it becomes like a God thing, right? Mm. So um, it's just something I've been rolling around in my mind about this in terms of actually the experience that they're pointing to is not self, that there is physiology, there is phenomena, there is awareness, there is attending to. Um, There is not manipulating, there is not controlling, there's not fixing, there's not remediating, you know. So, um, just for myself as a practitioner, I've been sort of playing with, you know, like, oh, I wonder how that could be, you know, could be articulated. It really, to me, it really comes to what we talk about in Buddhism as not self, mm. but so, that's outside of the paradigm that it's operating in, right? Yeah. You know, they're trying to they're trying to quantify that experience, which is real you know um, they're getting into that essential experience but they lack the language because it's not Buddhist actually you know so this, so, so they also have the idea that there isn't this core or that's essence what th- that's or? what I feel is trying to be articulated I see. because that's a, a real and true experience when you get into that that actually there's nothing there's not a self there's just being present with there's attending there's experience there's phenomena I see um, and I but, think you're pointing to something that when we, when there is like a
0: core essence then we often feel like we have to fix it or we have to manipulate it or two people I don't know it gets yeah there's definitely this sense
1: comes in yes. so thank you thank yes. you Cantor yeah. but then when you relinquish all that to just attend to in fact how do you describe it right what yeah. are you doing yeah yeah <laughs> you thank know? you thank you <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's something I've been rolling around like, huh, how could this be articulated? And in Buddhism, we know how to articulate that. We recognize that as not self. Yeah. Um, but that's outside of the paradigm of this. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
0: Okay. So, thank you all for your attention. And I wish you all a wonderful rest of the evening. Thank you. And if you'd like, you can come up and talk to me afterwards. Otherwise, I wish you safe travels home.